Good morning. Good to see you this morning. It is time for us to begin. So if you're ready to stand and worship the Lord, we're going to begin high gear this morning. Into your glorious day, 
Amen.
shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Like a flood, His mercy reigns. And in Chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unedited love, amazing grace. The earth shall soon dissolve. Like snow, the sun for bed shine. But God, who called me here below, will be forever mine. Will be forever mine. You are forever. Amen. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all Comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. Where your blood ran wet and my sin washed white, I will walk to you. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. There my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood. Going down at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you. Where your love ran red, my sin washed white. I will all to you, I will all to you. Here my hope is found. Oh, we cry.
Because he went to the cross, there's nothing impossible.
Amen. The Lord is able. You may be seated if you would like. This morning is the first Sunday of April 2022, which means our custom, our tradition, that's all it is, is to have communion today. And uh, I just felt that I wanted to read what the Apostle Paul had to say about this particular moment of worship as he was writing to a church who had messed it up. They weren't doing it right in terms of their attitude. But Paul wrote to them, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many are weak and sick and a number of you have been fallen asleep. But if we're more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And then he says, I'll give you more instructions when I come. I didn't read that to bring condemnation on, on anybody this morning. I just wanted to read the context. Um, when he talks about discerning the body of Christ, we all know that the bread symbolizes his broken body. But if you read 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 13, 14, not discerning the body of Christ is not discerning the fact that I belong to you and you belong to me, that we are members of the body of Christ. He was talking to people who had this pecking order. We're rich, you're poor. Here's the thing. When we come into the kingdom of God, it doesn't make any difference whether you're rich, poor, black, white, green, yellow, male, or female. And by the way, there's only male and female, just in case. We all come by the same blood of the Jesus Christ to the place where we have salvation. There's another thought that went through my mind totally different than this one as I looked at the music that was chosen for today by my wife um, and thinking about the communion. We sang about the amazing grace. We sang about the cross. And then we sang God is able. God is able. We believe that by his stripes, healing 
is paid for. And there have been numerous people over the past, well, I've been here 70 years, who during this moment in the service have recognized the fact that Jesus' body was broken for their healing power. And they have received a miracle of healing. And what I really felt strongly last night, thinking about the service, is I believe that somebody today is going to receive a healing touch as you just declaim, Jesus, you're my healer. Jesus, you're my healer. If you need a healing, I just encourage you to hold up the emblem as we pray. Lord, I thank you today. As we have come together, what we call the communion table, realizing we call it communion because what you did on the cross has made us one here and made us one with you, and we can come into your very presence. We can come before the very throne of God, find help, find grace and mercy in a time of need. Lord, we have read Isaiah 53, and, and, and we see that as you took those stripes that healing was paid for. And I know that healing talks about the total healing, the healing of our, our soul and our mind, but I also believe it to our bodies because your very name is I'm the God who heals you. The psalmist said that you are the one who heals of all of our diseases. And I thank you for your healing power today. Not because we're good, but because you are. Not because we deserve it, but because you died and you rose again to give power, the powers of darkness, the powers of sickness, and Lord, to bring healing to our bodies. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for your healing touch, that you make us whole. We stand in your presence, sit in your presence, bow in your presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, from the top of our head to the sole of our foot, that there's a, just that flow, that healing virtue that the woman experienced when she reached out and touched the hem of your garment. And what had uh, afflicted her for 13 years was suddenly gone. Thank you for that healing touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we eat? Lord, we thank you for the blood. Because this blood, this emblem of this blood is what purchased our salvation. It's what has caused us to be able to sing the song we just sang, understanding that your blood has washed our sins away and we're as white as snow today in your sight. Though sometimes we remember those things and people remember those things. The scripture says that You've washed away our sins to be remembered against us no more as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for that salvation today. And Lord, I pray that as, as we come before this and, and you told us to examine ourselves, the Holy Spirit reveals something to us in our heart, of our attitude, our spirit that's wrong today. We confess, we repent, and we claim the promise of 1 John that if we confess that you're faithful and just to forgive us of all sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, you said that, or Paul said that we would show the Lord's death till he comes again, and this is a promise that you will come again. And we're looking forward to that day when we see you face to face, 
able to bow at your feet and thank you for this incredible love that you've given to us. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Shall we drink? <coughs> I want to stand one more time and just sing the chorus to a song we sang a couple minutes ago. This is Amazing Grace. This is Amazing Grace. This is Amazing Love. That you would take done for us. Thank you, musicians. We've got most of them back today. That's great. In the bulletin, there's several announcements to take note of. Uh, there's a couple of inserts. Uh, one comes from Grace International Missions um, in Houston. Uh, there's two different prayer requests on that sheet today. Uh, Brother Thomas Chukwede and in uh, Nigeria, uh, talked about the fact that in the past couple weeks, and past few days, there has been this group of bandits, masked, speaking different languages that they don't even understand, uh, attacking people, attacked the train, took many people captive, killed people, um, and uh, you can read about what their concern is, praying for Nigeria. And then there's an update from Ukraine that I received yesterday from the office in Houston, from John Berkeley, uh, having to do with uh, one of the pastors in one of the cities. Um, earlier this week, there was three or four young men who were uh, kidnapped by the Russians. Uh, they released three of them, but the pastor's son, they still are holding him as of uh, yesterday. And they want to speak to the pastor, Alexander. And if you read that note, with the they want them to succumb to the authority of the Russians and the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, in Russia, they will acknowledge a church, the Russian Orthodox Church, which would not be what the evangelical churches would be a part of. And so we need to pray for Pastor Alexander and his son and that situation. And then in Mikolaev, where Pastor Slavik is, uh, the bombing has taken place. People have been killed there and praying for God's divine intervention in that city as well. 
Mary and Martha group will, your next meeting will be a week from tomorrow, April the 11th at 1230, making your final plans for the women's conference lunch here in, here in May. Amazing how fast this year is going. Uh, and then uh, a Good Friday service will take place on um, April the 15th at a Longview Community Church and encourage you to be a part of that service as well. And one final thing is I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all who uh, were here yesterday for the service for Paul and the hospitality that was expressed, the food that was brought in, the food that was cooked and all of that, and the cleanup that took place. God bless you, and I know he will. And just appreciate the time we had together, and the family appreciated it very, very much. And so just thank you for that ministry uh, as you continue to reach out to people. I think I'm ready for the word. Are you? The late Ray Stedman said there ought to be a law against reading our lesson text this morning without including the concluding verses to the chapter preceding. Of course, when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, it did not contain chapters and verses. Somewhere along the line, scholars put those in so that when we're gathering together, we don't have to go back to the beginning of the letter and read all the way through it to find a place to talk about, uh, but we have these reference points. And uh, so when he wrote the letter, um, I doubt that he had any clue that 2,000 years later we would be studying it line by line and thought by thought and sometimes even word by word. But we have arrived at the 12th chapter of Romans. But according to Pastor Stedman, we better read the doxology that we read last week so we can get into chapter 12 properly. So I want to begin reading this morning with verse 33, where we were last week. That's verse 35. What happened verse 33 and 34? They clicked twice. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The other direction. One more time. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And they put a chapter break there, no doubt, because he said amen. But as we read the next verse in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, that therefore has to do with what came before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to look at verse 1 of chapter 12 in a few more translations because I want to 
I'm going to make a point here. In the King James Version, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Go to the next one. The New American Standard and the NIV both say this way, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices. The New Living Translation says it this way, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. And one more, the Phillips translation says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him, acceptable by him. The first thing I want you to see is the intensity of Paul's appeal. He said in the ESV, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. But I want to write down those words that are read from those other four translations just so that we begin to catch the emotion and the passion he was writing with. He said, I beseech you, in the King James Version, I beseech you. And I know that's old English. But there's a certain amount of intensity to that. I beseech you. Not just I ask you, but I am beseeching you. Which means I urge you is the next one. The New American Standard and the NIV both said this. I urge you. I urge you to do this. New Living Translation gives us a little, I plead with you. I plead with you. And the Phillips translation said this, I beg you. I beg you. Paul could have said, my name is the Apostle of Paul, sent by Christ Jesus. I command you to do this. But he wanted to go beyond this, somebody just fulfilling a command, a directive. He comes to them, and he's pleading with folks to make a choice to respond to the gospel in what he deems as the only logical response one can make. He's pleading with them to make a choice to respond to the gospel in what he deems the only logical response one can make. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. New Living Translation said brothers and sisters. Number two, he's appealing to the family. The family of the born-again believers. Brothers in Scripture there is not gender-specific. Chapter 11, he talked about the Jews and the Gentiles. He talked about the natural branches and, and the grafted branches. But at this point, he's putting all of those things aside. He's just saying, for all of you who have embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, from every kindred and tribe who make up this believers, I am appealing to you, brothers and sisters, to do this. And he appeals on the basis of God's mercies. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That, therefore, tells us that he's appealing on the mercies of God he's been talking about in the first 11 chapters. In this letter to the Romans, Paul pointed out how lost mankind is. That we're all sinners. That there's none righteous, no, not one. That, uh, and as radical as our lostness is, we have this radical love of God where he sends his only begotten son to take our place, to die for our sins. He comes in a human body, and he's in a human body for all eternity. No, we don't often think about that. But Jesus, who was infinite in every way, like the Father, came in the flesh. He ascended into heaven in the flesh, and the angel said, you will see him in like manner when he comes again. It was the mercy of God that sent Jesus. It was the mercy of God that caused Jesus to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done, and he died on the cross. It's the mercy of God that says, if you put your faith in the risen Christ, you will be saved. More than that, you will become a bona fide child of God, and you can talk to him and say, Abba, Father, Daddy God. The gospel is God's mercy to an inexcusable and undeserving sinners. The gospel is God's mercy to inexcusable and undeserving sinners. You say inexcusable? Go back to Romans chapter 1. And he said, man is without excuse when it comes to talking about the reality of God and God's grace. Undeserving, there's not a one of us that deserved the mercy of God. If we got what we deserved... It'd be an empty house today. There'd be nobody to preach. But because of his incredible grace that we've been singing about, we are here today. When Paul makes this appeal in 12.1 on the basis of God's mercy, it comes directly from what he'd been talking about in chapter 9, 10, and 11 when he was talking about the Gentiles and the Jews and, 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 and all of that. Going back to Romans 9.16, he said this, so then it, and that it right there is salvation, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You are not saved, I am not saved by our good works. Apostle Paul, who lived the first part of his life trying to gain salvation by good works, comes to this understanding. All of my righteousness was as filthy rags. It's God's mercy and God's mercy alone. Chapter 9, verse 23, he said, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. And verse 4 starts out, Even us, vessels of mercy. We're not vessels because we are so good. We're vessels of mercy because God loves us and had grace for us. Romans chapter 11, verse 30 says this, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, 
So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Which brings us back to 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice. The next note in your notes is this. The greater our comprehension of what God has done for us, the greater our commitment should be. The greater our comprehension of what God has done for us, the greater our commitment should be. Vicki chose songs this morning that spoke about that amazing grace. The more we contemplate that grace, the more we meditate on this mercy, it should be like a, a magnet drawing us to a deeper commitment to live for him. The chorus of, of one of those songs we sang, At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I am on awe of you. Where your love ran red, my sin washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you, Jesus. Oh, the songwriter grasped everything that Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says. Because of the mercies of God, I owe all to him. Paul's appeal is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. If you think back a few chapters in Romans, Paul said it's our flesh, our body, that creates spiritual issues for us. James, in his letter, says, when you're tempted, don't blame God. And he infers, don't even blame Satan. He said, we are drawn away by our own fleshly desires. Our body. Our body. And yet, we are told to bring that body to God as a living sacrifice. Thank the Lord it's a living sacrifice. Because when he talked about sacrifice in that days, they're, they're thinking about going to the altar in Jerusalem and obliterating it. But come and give your body as a living sacrifice. Came across a quote from... Dr. John MacArthur's commentary on Romans. Now, I don't agree with everything that John MacArthur says, but this is an interesting statement. He told a story about a woman who came to talk to him tearfully and distraught while he was speaking at a conference. She said, I just can't seem to live the Christian life the way I should. I'm frustrated. I don't have spiritual victory or a sense of accomplishment. I struggle with the simplest forms of obedience, and I'm constantly defeated. Can you help me? MacArthur asked her, what has been your approach to solving the problems yourself? 
I've tried everything. I've attended churches where they speak in tongues, have healing, have all kinds of extraordinary spiritual experiences. I've spoken in tongues myself, had ecstatic experiences, have prophesied over, and had experienced several supposed miracles. I've been slain in the Spirit, but in spite of all that, I'm not pleased with my life, and I know God isn't pleased. I've tried to get everything from Him that I can, but I'm not satisfied. I'm still miserable and want more. He said, I think you've just put your finger on the problem. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not in trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. The key to spiritual victory and true happiness is not trying to get all we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. That's what Paul said. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. All of it. All of it. I appeal by the mercies of God, present your bodies. There are other religions in the world that require some kind of sacrifice to be made to worship their deity. I read that there's a part of Hinduism where they call for the devotee to shave their head and present the shorn hair as a sacrifice to the Hindu deity. Islam requires a devoted Muslim to make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lifetime. I remember reading in the scripture some of the pagan religions called for their parents to throw children into the fire to appease Baal. But the call for you and me as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In the letter to the Romans, Paul has pointed out the issues of sins in our body. In, in chapter 3, he, he quotes the prophet Isaiah who wrote that their, their throats are an open grave and we use our tongues to deceive and our feet are swift to shed blood. And it goes on. He goes down to chapter 6 and he said these words. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We talk about giving your heart to Jesus, and rightfully so, because we take that from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Unfortunately, sometimes we think that it's just something I verbalize. It happened in my heart. But he's saying, when you make Jesus Christ your Lord, you not only give him your heart, you give him your mind, and you give him your body. Our, that means practically our feet will walk in his path. Our lips will speak the truth and share the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who've fallen. Our arms will embrace the, love, the unlovely and the lonely. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. And our eyes will look humbly 
and patiently to Jesus. My body. One of the commentators I read spent three paragraphs talking about how disgusting our body is. But God made it his temple to dwell in. God made it his temple to dwell in. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Present your body a living sacrifice. Going back to verse 1 in the King James, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable on God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Number five, it's the logical thing to do. It's the logical thing to do. Paul didn't say it directly, but here's what it could be summed up as. Jesus died for you so you can now live for him. Jesus died for you so you can now live for him. As I said earlier, the people in the first century, they're familiar with what went on in Jerusalem at the temple, the offering of the animals with the clear understanding of what the sacrifice meant. It was offered completely, without reservation. Since Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin, it doesn't do any good for us to die on the cross or to die on the altar. That's why he calls us to live the life of sacrifice to him to live for Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the Colossians, and Thessalonians, and he said the same thing to all three of them. I'll just read from Ephesians, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk worthy. Paul, to every one of the letters he wrote, he's talking about total commitment to Jesus. Total commitment to Jesus. Half commitment does not make sense. It is not logical, according to Paul, and according to logic. Lord, I give you my heart, but the other parts of me I'm going to reserve for me. Lanny Wolf wrote a song back in 1975, and I think it was Doug Oldham who made it famous. The title of the song is Jesus Be the Lord of All, and I want you to see these lyrics that he wrote. Verse 1 says this, In my heart are kingdoms of a world that's all my own, kingdoms that are only seen by myself and God alone. In the past, when I tried to rule my world, it just seemed to fall apart. So please, Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Course 1 says, Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. Jesus, be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Verse 2 says this. I guess I only fooled myself, for I said I'd yield it all. But in a secret corner of my heart was a kingdom that did not fall. I surrender now. Make my heart your throne. Rule its kingdoms great and small. For if you're not Lord of everything, 
then you're not Lord at all. The second course is, Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I surrender all the kingdoms of my heart. That's what Paul is talking about when he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Every part of who you are, who I am. Remember, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been bought with his his precious blood. He redeemed you from death. He redeemed you from sin. He redeemed you from damnation. It's totally illogical to live our lives as we please. The only logical response is, Lord, I'm yours, all of me, to do your will. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs us everything. Let me run that by again. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs us everything. Jesus said, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Number six, you've already seen the note. Some of you have already filled it in. The demands of commitment. The demands of commitment. There are a couple of imperatives that Paul gives to us after, as we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Verse 2 said this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. The NIV says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, or more literal, to the schemes of this world. So the next note would be this, do not be conformed to to the schemes of this world. We left out the word schemes for some reason. Do not be conformed to the schemes of this passing evil age. Go one more. There we go. Do not be conformed to the schemes of this passing evil age age and I know that when we say that scripture if you raised in church like I was raised in church the first thing that comes to your mind is that means I shouldn't smoke chew or drink or alcohol play cards or go to movies in fact if you're really spiritual you should get rid of your TV and never drink coffee again I just crossed the line with some of you about coffee, didn't I? But I want you to know that's been on the list of things that people define as they're trying to fulfill the scripture. I can still remember an old preacher. He was much older. When I was 12 years old, he spoke here on a Sunday morning. We were going to go to dinner come back for Sunday evening, he's going to speak again, and we're walking across the parking lot to get in the car to go to dinner, and this guy gets up close in my face, he's one of those kind of guys, he get right in my face, and he said, when are you going to quit playing baseball and live for Jesus? And I thought I was living for Jesus pretty good playing baseball, but, um, but that, that was the kind of thinking that we make this list of things problem is I saw a lot of those people who 
didn't do those things or they, they, they had a list and they kept the list, but they still live much of their life according to the schemes of the world. We could spend a lot of time talking about the schemes of the world. I just want to point out two or three things. One of the schemes of the world, one of the, 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 the philosophies that comes from worldly living, and when I talk about worldly living, that's living without consent or submission to God and His ways. Number one is the advancement of self. The advancement of self. That's the spirit of this age. Always has been. It seems more prevalent as time goes on. That spirit was birthed in the Garden of Eden. Remember when the serpent was used by Satan to tempt Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you will be as God. The advancement of self. We live in a culture, we live in a world where so many people live by what's in it for me, what do I get out of this? Paul told the Philippians, have this mind of Christ. Do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Number two, the scheme of the world is my personal happiness. I mean, it's even part of our Declaration of Independence that we have the right to pursue happiness. And the advancement of self is the basis of life, and the goal of life is my happiness. How many marriages have dissolved because somebody said, I deserve to be happy, and you don't make me happy? My needs are not being met. People change churches with that same philosophy. My needs are not being met, as if the only reason for being in church is for your needs to be met. The spirit of the age. Well, you say, doesn't God want me to be happy? In fact, God does want you to be happy. The first part of the Sermon on the Mount is all about being happy. But I challenge you to read it, verses 3 through verses 12, and see which one of those ones is about the advancement of self. Blessed are the poor in spirit, totally bankrupt. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's not a thing about personal advancement. It's all about the advancement of the kingdom of God through us. That person will be happy. That person will find fulfillment. Number three is the methods of the world. The methods of the world. The methods of the world is all about rivalry and competition. It's about getting ahead of the other guy, getting there first, grabbing what is mine or what I want to be mine before someone else gets it, no matter the cost or what others do. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, the thinking of this world, the methods of this world. There's more pressure today than ever in my lifetime to embrace the philosophies of this evil generation. The world system is all about silencing the voice of the church and the truth of the Word of God. To conform to a culture that calls what God calls sin as something normal. 
And they even say some of the sinful things that they do that God created them that way. And if we live by Scripture, we're bigots and intolerant. We're people to be despised and rejected. Oh, by the way, Jesus said that would be our lot in life if we committed ourselves to follow him. Do not allow the world to squeeze you into their mold. Look at the New Living Translation, the first part of, of, of verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The Phillips translation said this, Don't let the world around you squeeze it, you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove what in practice the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. I was reading the different commentaries this week. I read of an incident in the life of a man named Jerome Hines. He's a man who lived a little earlier. I think he passed away in about 2003 or something like that. Uh, he was a metropolitan opera singer. And for 41 years, he was a principal in the opera. And that is an incredible record for 41 years of a bass, baritone voice. Maybe that's why I, that story grabbed my attention. Um, he grew up in California. He thought he had a good voice. I read a little blip on, on him when I tried to do a little more research on this story where he was kicked out of the choir in high school because they said he sang off key. Um, somebody said, though, you got a good voice, you need to get training. And so he became possessed with the desire to become a star in the Metropolitan Opera Company. He lived for it. He built his life around it. He gave up all the other activities and pursuits and all the pleasures to give himself to the necessary work and training to become an opera star. He learned the art of intonation and musical projection. And he could project. I pulled up a couple of YouTube things where him singing just to see if this guy was really for real. And he, he was for real. He learned several languages. The thing about operas, you never know what language you're going to be singing in. He gave himself this tremendous desire to be a star. It came true. But there was an emptiness. One day he heard another man singing. The voice was just as good as his. And the man could have been doing what he was doing, but he was not. But he heard George Beverly Shea singing. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Amazing story. As Bev Shea sang that song, it got to Heinz's heart, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. But he didn't quit the opera. A lot of people thought there's no way you can be a Christian and sing in the opera. It's worldly. But he stayed in it, and everything was different. 
He was no longer singing for the advancement of Jerome Hines. He began to sing for the glory of God. He dedicated his art, his work, his all to that purpose. God doesn't take us out of the world. He leaves us in the world to be salt and light. He lives in us to change our thinking. And, and Jerome, his thinking was changed. There finally came this opportunity when the, the role of a lifetime, he had dreamed about this role for all of his life. He trained for it for months. He put in the hard work. And he was given the role. He was contracted to sing that role in the opera for 10 years. When he went to the rehearsal, he found some people performing a rather lewd dance. And he said, what is this? Somebody said, this is the choreography that introduces the opera. He said, there's nothing like that in the opera. No, they said, we're changing it, modernizing it, bringing it up to date. Heinz said, I won't sing if you're going to have this kind of dance. He was told he better go talk to Mr. Bing, who happened to be the general manager of the Metropolitan Opera. He said to him, sir, if you have that dance in the opera, I'm not going to sing in it. Bing told him, if you don't sing, you'll be ostracized, blacklisted in the opera because you're under contract to sing. He said, sir, I can't sing in the opera. I'm not going to let my name be used to entice people to come see filth like this. You can break me, sir. The union can break me. I've worked hard for months to train for this role, but I will not sing in the opera if that dance is in it. Bing said, Jerome, you don't have to sing. If you really feel that way, you don't have to sing. We'll get someone else. But we can't change the contract. So he gave up the role. It cost him over a period of 10 years something like $100,000. How many of us are willing to give our body to God in such a way that we'd be willing to give up $100,000 rather than to do something that would be offensive to the Lord and to our testimony of him? That's what Paul's talking about when he said, do not be conformed to this world not going along with a pattern of thinking, but being willing to go all in for the pursuit of God. That's tough, you say. Yeah, you bet it is. If you do that day after day, it gets hard because you're under constant pressure. Everybody's thinking this way. Everybody wants to do that. Nobody understands. So why don't you give in? The only answer to that question or to stand up against that pressure is what Paul talks about next. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's no way you can keep from being conformed to this world unless you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something has to happen to our thinking. We can't go around thinking like the world thinks and still not give in and be conformed to what it does. What we need is a change of thinking. There comes day by day being renewed again and again and again. You need a mind that will see through all the silly schemes of the world. That's the kind of mind that the Scripture calls 
the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is the way of looking at life as Jesus does, seeing life as he sees it. Looking at life like Jesus does. It's seeing what is really there and what it seems and not what seems to be there. Seeing what's really important and not what looks to be important. And you can't have that kind of mind unless it's renewed on an ongoing basis. So how do I renew my mind? By being brought captive to the Word of God. How do I renew my mind? By being brought captive to the Word of God. In the study of the Reformation, you read the story of Martin Luther. One of the things that he said when he stood before the religious and civil leaders at the Diet of Worms was, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. We need to be in the Word, and the Word needs to be in us. Psalms chapter 1 says, the man or the woman who meditates in the word of the Lord day and night will be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. Its fruit will bring forth in season and its leaf will not wither. And whatever it does, whatever they do, it will prosper because their mind has been renewed and transformed by the word of God. More and more I see folks who claim to be Christians who come to believe that their opinions about a matter are just as valid as God's. They come to the place that they believe their opinions about things is just as valid as the Bible. A number of years ago, a man by the name of Mark Deeper, Deaver was teaching in the theological seminary of the Southern Baptist University in, or seminary in Washington, D.C., and in the course of his teaching that day, he made an assertion about God from the Scripture. A student in the class interrupted and said, Excuse me, sir, but I like to think of God as wise, but not meddling. Compassionate, but not overpowering. Resourceful, but not interrupting. That's how I like to think about God. Deva responded, Thank you, Bill, for telling us about yourself. But we're here to learn about God from the Bible. It's the Word of God that renews my mind. It's the Bible that teaches me the mind of Christ. There's a reason I use so much Scripture in my sermons, because Jesus words are the words of life. That's what Peter said. Where else can we go? You have the words of life. When we open the Bible and we read it, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because Jesus said, I've sent the Holy Spirit to teach you all things about me, to guide you. And so the Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth of the Scripture when we begin to study it and meditate upon it. And what will happen as we meditate on it and we begin to do what it says, it will transform us from one stage of glory to the next stage of glory in Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1, 2, reading it again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship's more about singing than singing songs. Worship's about the way we live, giving honor and glory to God by the way we live. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. <coughs> Number seven, total commitment will lead to knowing and living the will of God. Total commitment will lead to knowing and living the will of God. Every time I read that passage of Scripture, I think of um, one of our dean, uh, Bernard, who, who went on to be, on to be with the Lord. Uh, he would ask me, does that mean there's good will, and an acceptable will, and a perfect will of God? And he wanted to know if that was three different steps. I don't know. I just know that when I put God first, I put his word first, that he reveals to me his will. A committed life has the power to perceive what God's will is. Alexander McLaren said this, and I put it in your notes, something for you to think about. To know beyond doubt what I ought to do, and knowing to do it, seems to me to be heaven on earth, and the man that has it needs but little more. He said, when I know I'm in the will of God, it's heaven on earth. And I don't need much more than that to be content, to be happy. I'm where God wants me to do, doing what God wants me to do, saying what God wants me to say. The one who's committed to God sees life with a sure eye. The one who's committed to God sees life with a sure eye. A couple of application points here. We are called to voice a monumental no to the ways of the world, to the schemes of the world. We could go to John, verse John, love not the world or the things of the world. Because if you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. The pride of life, pride of the eye, all of those things. We are called to say a monumental no. I will not be conformed. I will not be sucked in. We are called to say yes to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in renewing our minds. We must live them both, the no and the yes. To only say no without a yes just leads to a life of futile negation and legalism. I'm always saying no to this, no to this, and no to this. And to only say yes to the Holy Spirit without saying no to the world will leave me frustrated and immature in my faith and spiritual growth. But there comes that place where I say no to the world and I say yes to the Word and allow the Word to live up through me. One day a man was walking through Union Station in Chicago, busy and crowded with people. As he's walking along, he's thinking about what he should be doing with his life. And it suddenly dawned on him as he was walking, the only logical thing for him to do with his life since it belonged to God and had been redeemed was to give it to God and ask God to use it. So he stopped where he was, and with his toe, he made a mark on the floor, and then he stood on the mark, and then he said these words. He prayed this prayer. Next slide, please. Lord, here I am. I'm yours. The rest of my life, whatever you want me to do, if you will show me and convince me that is what you want, I will do it. The attitudes you want me to have, that's what I will have. As I study and read your word, I will try to carry out what you tell me to do and think the way that you tell me to think. Here I am, Lord. 
You do with my life as you want. You do with my life as you want. The story goes on that over the coming years, that man was used by God in powerful ways. He traveled the world, and hundreds were touched by his testimony and his ministry. I believe there's individuals in the sound of my voice today that the Lord is calling to that same kind of moment to kind of make a mark on the ground and stand on that mark and say, Lord, I want to present my body, all that I have, all that I am, not just... Sometimes I think we treat our, our, our uh, salvation like accidental life insurance. You can get accidental life insurance pretty cheap just in case you have an accident that kills you. Some people look at their faith in Jesus kind of like that kind of insurance or like fire insurance. But what God intended for is that he gave his life that we might live his life totally surrendered body, soul, and spirit we're going to stand and sing a chorus. Well, actually, we're going to sing an old hymn, and then we're going to pray. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence, daily live. I surrender all. I
I know that many of us have that moment in life where we knelt or we stood or laid on the floor and cried out, God, have mercy upon me. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my life. But as we live in this fleshly body, this human body with its passions. I think of Paul's words where he said, I crucify the flesh daily. There comes that ongoing need for that renewal of that surrender. In the, in the, in the concept of the, that Lanny Wolf wrote the song of the kingdoms of my heart, allowing you to be king of every part of that. Lord, my prayer is that each and every one of us will renew that surrender of our body, all that we are, everything that we have. Jesus, you can have it. It's yours. Jesus, fill me with your presence and your power and use me for your glory, not for mine. I surrender to you today because as I look at the world around us, what the world needs is men and women who are totally sold out for Jesus Christ. Founder of the Salvation Army said, nobody's seen what would happen if somebody's totally sold out to Christ, now be that man. Help us to be that person. Here's my body. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. I give it all to you. And thank you, Lord, that you hear that cry. Thank you, Lord, that that's your, your desire for us. And it says, when you draw near to us, you'll draw, that you'll draw near to us. Thank you, Father, for your presence. As we go from this place today, May we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, surrender to you, living in your good, perfect will. Thank you, Father. We pray for our church family, wherever they might be today, those who are in touch and need a touch physically. God, that your healing power would just flow through them, even now. They would experience the miracle of your presence. We give you thanks for all of these things in Jesus' wonderful and glorious name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for enduring to the end. Wednesday morning Bible study, Wednesday night prayer time. Join with us again.